The General Services Administration recently welcomed the 2023 batch of Presidential Innovation Fellows. 20 technology and innovation jocks from the private sector will start pitching in at 13 federal agencies. To learn more about this year's fellows and what's unique about the program itself, Federal News Network's Eric White spoke with the director of GSA's Technology Transformation Service, Ann Lewis. The Presidential Innovation Fellows Program started in 2012 under the Office of Science, Technology, and Innovation at the White House, and it found its home in GSA in 2013 under Technology Transformation Services, the organization I now run. Over the last 10 years, the Presidential Innovation Fellows Program has connected experienced technology and innovation leaders to government agencies to help these agencies deliver better government services and better government experiences to the public. The fellows come from a variety of backgrounds, industry, nonprofits, academia. They are technology leaders, entrepreneurs, innovators, who bring a wealth of experience in fields like product management, design, strategy, artificial intelligence, data science, and cloud infrastructure. They use their expertise and fresh perspective to work with agency teams and leaders on a variety of projects, from strategy to capacity building to modernization work. All of this work centered around improving the way the government builds, designs, and delivers its services for the public. There's so much that we're excited about this year, and I'd love to share some stories about the projects and programs that fellows have been placed in. Absolutely. Please do. For this uh, 2023 cohort, there are 20 fellows that onboarded last month, and they're embedded in agencies across the federal government, including the Department of Defense, the VA, NASA, the CDC, ARPA-H, and others. And um, I'd love to share a couple of stories about interesting work our fellows are doing this year. We have Antoinette Coleman at USDA, who advises the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children, otherwise known as WIC, which feeds 6.2 million participants a month. This fellow is leading a team to make WIC's platform more accessible to the public. We also have two fellows at ARPA-H, the new Advanced Research Projects Agency for Health, who are providing invaluable cross-agency perspectives and expertise on the role of data in healthcare and digital strategy. And we also have Awal and Sopan at the Small Business Administration, where I used to work as a senior advisor for technology and was previously a PIF sponsor before taking my current role as director of technology transformation services. Avalon is a data scientist and technology leader whose project is supported with American Rescue Plan funds. And the story behind this project is last year, the Small Business Administration ran an American Rescue Plan program called the Community Navigator Program that had the goal of helping business owners keep their businesses going during the pandemic by identifying and connecting entrepreneurs with grants and community support and distributing resources by tapping into their community networks. But to do this most effectively, they needed to be able to make sense of many disparate business demographic data sets. And as we all know, data is messy. Awalyn jumped right in, and I remember her drive to just figure it out. She developed a framework to analyze geographic and demographic data at a more granular level by incorporating additional data sets from other SBA programs and agency sources. And thanks to her work, the SBA was able to make the Community Navigator program more effective by using data mining and visual analytics techniques to identify underserved entrepreneurs participating in the program. And this allowed the SBA to set goals around equity and strategically partner with local organizations to conduct outreach in underserved communities, which ultimately improved access to the Community Navigator Program. Avalon was very pragmatic in the way that she applied her expertise to the opportunity and worked hand-in-hand with the Community Navigator team. This is what we want to see with our Presidential Innovation Fellows. Dive right in, figure it out, lead collaboratively and pragmatically, use your skills to meet the agency where it is and create impact. 
Cool stuff. So as a former PIF sponsor yourself and in talking with the uh, fellows this year, what drives them to want to be a part of this program? And you mentioned the pandemic. I'm wondering if that had any effect on I felt it as well. I'm sure you many of us felt it while we were sitting at home. You know, we all sort of try to come together when the country needs us. And was there a, a desire to serve coming out of that you know historical event? There's been an overwhelming desire to serve that we've seen from uh, technologists at all levels, but especially at this senior level. It's a great time in, to work in government if you're a technology leader. Based on my experience in the private sector, it's possible to have impact if you work really hard and work your way up to the corporate ladder of a big company. Um, maybe you'll be in charge of millions of dollars or impact millions of users. But by default, every single government program that you could work on as a technology leader will have millions or billions of dollars of impact, will impact hundreds of millions of people who need access to the basic services that government provides to help them through different kinds of life experiences, through crises like the pandemic. It's it's impossible not to have a huge impact as a, as a senior technology leader in government. And I think a lot of other people felt that way and felt the, the call to serve. This year, we received close to a 1,000 applicants to the Presidential Innovation Fellows Program. And it's no surprise, given an overall desire to serve and also the Presidential Innovation Fellows uh, legacy as an impact-driven program that plays an active role in key administration goals and priorities. And uh, we try to bring in more, more senior folks into this program and assess both their technology and leadership skills. Yeah, and, and it seems like a good way for senior technologists to get their feet wet if they don't have uh, much government experience. What can you tell me about that and how it sort of may help a person transition from the private sector to government such as yourself did? I think the important thing to remember when coming into government for the first time is to spend a lot of time talking to people and listening and really understanding the structure of the programs that you're involved in and working with. Everything is the way it is for good reasons. And so I think a place where new technology leaders to government can succeed is to be low ego, to be aware of your expertise and experience, but also aware that everyone you're working with has a wealth of knowledge and understanding about why programs are the way they are, and to be extremely pragmatic about understanding which problems exist and why, what problems can be solved in which ways, and to build coalitions and work together with a broader community of of leaders and individual contributors. It's not a, a, a government program or in project is not a success unless it's a success for everyone because you need everyone at the table to be able to make that long-term impact and to be able to deliver better government experiences to the public. Yeah. And going the other way, uh, you know, I'm thinking of the defense department. There are more partnerships with private sector entities than ever. Um, How does this help leverage ideas from the technology sector um, that may have not made its way into the federal agencies yet? Well, it's a very direct way to bring in, tech industry standard, tech industry best practices into government, and also uh, ideas from nonprofits and academia. The Presidential Innovation Fellows Program brings in people with expertise in a wide variety of fields who bring in not just ideas, but also fresh perspective that they that they bring to their work with agency teams and leaders. So I think that it's a it's a great bridge between public and private, and it helps us to build shared language. 
Yeah, and that's a great segue to my last question, which is, you know, clearly DEI, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion is a big factor in a lot of government initiatives, especially on the hiring front. So I imagine that this helps kind of grab people from uh, different backgrounds that may or may not have a chance to uh, get a foot in the door, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, what can you tell me about that? Well, this particular program recruits uh, is extremely competitive and recruits senior level folks who've spent decades building experience in the private sector. So a lot, all of the applicants to the program have really earned their stripes and they bring in a, a diversity of skills, experiences and perspectives that are best in cl- class um, in their areas of expertise. So we focus primarily on figuring out how to identify 20 people out of those 1,000. That's an incredibly competitive hiring process. And then working with agencies to match applicants to agency programs and agency program needs. And so if 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 I may, I'd love to just plug the program for agency partners. We're, we're looking for projects right now and agency partners. And the sooner we find out more about what agencies are looking for, the more we can filter that 1,000 or more candidates. It could be more than 1,000 this year. All of our hiring processes right now are extremely competitive. We can best match the people at the top of their field to what agencies are looking for in terms of um, senior and executive skills. I'd love to just say that if anyone is currently listening to this who's at a federal agency right now, if you'd like to submit a program to the Presidential Innovation Fellows Program for 24, the time is now. And if you're uh, a senior technology leader and you're interested in this program, I just wanted to say, like, please do consider government service. The amount of impact that you can have is, is truly incredible. And being able to serve your country at such a critical time really is an honor. All right. And where's the best place for them to find more information if they're looking for it? If you're interested in learning more about the Presidential Innovation Fellows Program or how to submit an application to become a fellow or how to submit an agency project proposal, you can go to PIF.gov. Applications for the 2024 Presidential Innovation Fellows Cohort open May 15th. Ann Lewis, Director of Technology Transformation Service at the General Services Administration. Find this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. David Wilson, President of Morgan State University. David has had a fascinating career and has garnered a long record of accomplishments from more than 30 years of experience in higher education administration. Came to Morgan State in 2010 from the University of Wisconsin, where he was chancellor of both the University of Wisconsin Colleges and the University of Wisconsin Extension. Before that, he held numerous other administrative posts in academia, including vice president for the University of Outreach, associate provost at Auburn University, and um, associate provost of Rutgers. And when we were talking earlier, too, you had just mentioned that you had a, um, a wonderful nomination at the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And David, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Shane, it is indeed a pleasure uh, to be invited into this conversation with you. It's not in your um, in the short bio here, but I also know you served in some capacity in the Obama administration. Yes, I did, as a matter of fact. As I was leaving the University of Wisconsin, where I oversaw the UW colleges, I accepted the presidency at Morgan. And on my way into the presidency at Morgan in 2010, my name was advanced to President Obama to be considered as a member of his board of advisors on historically black colleges and universities. And so I accepted and served there for eight years during his two terms. Amazing. You've had a fascinating career at 
numerous universities across the U.S. How did you become passionate about the education field, and what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? First of all, I was made aware of a quote by Horace Mann, who was a great 19th century educator who really gave rise to public education in the United States. And he was the first to utter the phrase that education is the great equalizer. And why that resonated with me was because I grew up in abject poverty uh, in rural Alabama, and there was no law in Alabama as I was growing up that required black kids to go to school. Uh, I was kind of shut off from formal education on a consistent basis. I didn't get a chance to go to school full-time until I was in the seventh grade. We lived on property there that were owned by um, the white landowners, and so the um, owner of the property, a white woman, would bring down to this little shanty that we lived in, and she would bring Look and Life magazines. My mom, uh, she would make us as children plaster these pages of Look and Life magazines against the wall of this little shanty to keep the cold wind out. I would take a kerosene lamp and go around the walls reading those articles in Look and Life magazines, which is when I first came across the phrase of Horace Mann. Hmm. From that point on, I committed myself you know, to education. It's an amazing story, and two things occur to me. One, it's almost incomprehensible that this happened during our lifetime. You know, that, to me, is uh, almost shocking. It's also truly inspiring that you recognized that you could do more and sought out to do that and were successful at it. So when you think back on that experience, how has that informed, shaped, influenced your leadership position now as president of Morgan State? It, it had to have had an impact, but how would you articulate that? So if you go back to that Alabama environment, what I saw, it was just so many people, my own brothers and sisters who were 10 times smarter than I was. But my first five brothers were literate. They never got an opportunity to show the nation how brilliant they were. Therefore, I really took on this whole notion that my life had to be about ensuring that individuals who were drowning in potential and they didn't realize it would be in a position where they would realize it. I was never ever about positions that would enable me simply to replicate privilege. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care what type of family you came from. I think that's where sometimes we kind of get education wrong. Uh, we have institutions that want to define themselves based on how many students they don't admit. I'm about just the opposite, taking individuals who are absolutely stellar and don't realize it and bringing that into existence for them. You've had so many opportunities that you could do other things, perhaps, at um, larger organizations, but you're where you want to be on purpose, by design, for the kinds of reasons you just talked about, that it's, it's fulfilling. But can you talk a little bit more about that? There have been so many so-called top 50 institutions in the United States that have come aggressively after me. And, you know, I flirted with a couple of them, and I went home to Alabama because these two were very serious. And my family is brutally honest with me, and they keep me grounded. 
So I flew down and began to talk with him about these institutions that were coming after me. I was thinking they would be impressed. And when I finished, my youngest sister said to me, now, are you finished? Clearly, we are not understanding why you would even consider leaving Morgan. It just reassured me uh, that I'm living my purpose at Morgan. And it is joyful uh, to be at a place where you want to be versus being at a place where others think you should be. One question that I always have to ask, is there one leader or maybe a couple of leaders that have inspired you, that have You mentioned Horace Mann. I don't know if if that fits in this category, but what might be a couple of leaders that you remember that that inspired you, that gave you a purpose, helped shape your life? In 1989, when I was selected as a W.K. Kellogg Fellow, we had to be introduced to leadership that was different in a lot of ways than the leadership that we had been exposed to. In February of 1990, uh, Mr. Nelson Mandela was released And that's where I wanted to go and meet Mr. Mandela. We had no idea that he would grant an audience, and he did. He granted an audience, and uh, Mr. Walter Sisulu did as well. So here I am, having grown up in Alabama, I harbored some anger toward the society there that kept me from realizing my potential and then kept so many others like me from ever realizing their potential. At the end of a conversation that we had, someone asked Mr. Sosulu, we're leaving this conversation thinking that you harbor no anger towards a society that locked you away for 27 years. Are we leaving with the correct conclusion? He said, I harbored no anger or bitterness towards a society that locked me away for all of those years because I and others like me knew that what we were doing was the right thing. If you commit yourself to doing the right thing, there should never, ever be any space in your heart for anger or bitterness. And that was transformational for me and why I respect and admire Mr. Nelson Mandela and Mr. Walter Sisulu today. That is a great story. And it, you know, with all the accomplishments through your life, I'm sure it had a great impact on your ability to, to go as far as you have and you're still going. Well, uh, I, I have a takeaway in, in terms of leadership lessons I've learned. We would be well served as a nation if I think we created these opportunities for young people at various stages to really, first of all, see the United States. And then we need that same opportunity globally. As a result, when you do that, you understand the history over here. You understand the culture over here. You understand, and you've got to understand the world beyond an intellectual understanding. You want to think of your maturation in a way where your brain can never, ever, ever be hacked. <laughs> so that's sort of the way, that's sort I, of the I way that I kind brilliant. of see all of that. That's you know? brilliant. <laughs> and um, being born in rural southwest uh, Kansas, flyover country, as they say, I can, I can tell you that your, your comments about travel and getting out, not just reading about it, but actually traveling, it, it really is important. It's absolutely critical for someone's personal development. I, I, I happen to think so. Well, Dr. <laughs> David Wilson, thank you so much. I love every single piece of today, but also your life story. It's really impressive, inspiring, and thank you for sharing it. Shane, today. thank you very much for inviting me to have this conversation with you again. And I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. We'll see you next time 
on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.